Do you guys ever do that for your moms and dads? Do you ever draw a picture? Okay, okay. Yeah. We do that. And you know, sometimes mommies and daddies, what they do, or if you get a really good grade on your homework, they grab it from you and they stick it somewhere. Where do we often stick your masterpieces? In the closet? No, we don't. (laughs) On the wall or most of the time, the parents knew. Where do you stick them? On the refrigerator. Refrigerators are art museums for kids so that parents can show off all your beautiful works. Now, the amazing thing is, when your mommy and daddy look at your drawing, do they say, oh, that's terrible, that's awful? No, they say, wow, that's a masterpiece, right? That's a work of art, right? And then they'll ask the next question, did you draw this? And you say, yeah. And then they'll say, well, tell me about it, just in case they're not sure what you quite drew. So they ask you, well, tell me about it. Well, here's a question for you. Can your picture change on its own? No. It needs the hand of the artist, right? It needs the artist to make it the masterpiece it was made to be, right? It doesn't, you don't just hold up a piece of paper and say, color yourself, do you? No, it doesn't work, does it? Well, did you know, I want to read you a verse today. And when you are in Christ, when you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this guy named Paul that wrote a lot of the New Testament led by God says this about those who are in Christ, those who know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and have been adopted into God's family. He says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, three times we hear something amazing about who we are. First, we are God's workmanship. When we are adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God, we are made pure and right before God because apart from God, we're destined to hell, right? We're meant, we will end up sinning we will end up apart from God. But when we have been adopted into the family, when we have accepted the gift of grace through Jesus Christ, we are made to be part of the family of God. And we are washed by Jesus Christ. And when we're done that, we look like this beautiful work of art. We are God's workmanship. Did we make ourselves? No. You didn't make yourselves? No, God, that's what comes next. See, it says we are God's workmanship. We are his masterpiece. And then it says created in Christ to do good works. When you are in Christ, when you have been adopted into that family of God, when you are seeking to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, Because we know God made us, we're going to seek to do the right things. Seek to do the things he tells us to. Why do we obey God? Why should we obey God? Anybody know? You know why we obey God? Why, Austin? 
because we should be good. But the thing is, that's true. But we can't be good on our own. In Christ, Jesus has made us free. He's made us free from the sin, the things that separate us from God. And so what happens is we can't do good on our own. We obey out of love for God and who he's made us to be. We say, thank you for making this masterpiece. Pretty cool, huh? Do you go around thanking God for making you just the way you are? No, we often complain to God. I'm not tall enough. I wish I was prettier, bigger, taller, smarter, this, that, or the other. I'm 100 years old. I feel like it today. You're almost four, I know. But see, wait, 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 wait. But there's one more thing. You see, God made us for a... No, you're not. God made us... God made us for a reason. To honor Him. So when God made you a work of art, He made you a work of art so that you show other people who He is out of how you live, how do you love others. I want to ask you a question to finish today. When you look at your friends around here, do you think of them as God's work of art? No, we don't usually do that. But you know, when we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're set free from sin. We still make mistakes, but we can be forgiven through what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so can everyone else. And so instead of looking at people for all they do wrong, what if instead we looked at people and said, God loves you and he made you and he wants you to be part of his family. And then we invite people to know who Jesus is, that he came so that we might have life and be the work of art God made us to be. So on your name tags today, later on, I want you guys to write, I am a work of art. I am God's child, and I'm a work of art made to honor God. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you that when you adopted us as sons and daughters of you, the Most High God, you have purified us. You've set us free. I ask that each one of these little children remember they are your creation. You have made us. And that we give all of our honor and our praise and our love to you. In your name I pray. Amen. Okay, guys, you are works of art in Christ Jesus. Go on upstairs now, okay? Last week we addressed, hey, you know, the reality is there are these identity idols that we can all wrestle with. Uh, I've shared with you before, I, I can tend to be a people pleaser. If someone doesn't like me, that almost becomes a god. I want them to like me. Uh, the success of our children can become an idol. Uh, all sorts of things, even good things, can keep us from that which is great, that which is holy, that which is what God has for us. Well, the question then becomes, where do we go from there? Okay, yes. Mike, I'm like you. I can struggle in these areas of idols, but what do we do next? Where do we go from there? And I love the book of Ephesians. Uh, it's, it's such a practically deep book, if, if you think of it like that. It's a little letter that Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus. And if you remember much about Ephesus, 
Ephesus in some ways could be similar to Hong Kong. It was a, a central route of trade in a lot of ways. It was very open to all sorts of religious practices and idols of many kinds. Uh, it was a successfully wealthy city. And that's the backdrop with which Paul was writing this letter to a people that were living in a city full of what we would call plurality, where they would say all sorts of things can lead you to God. All sorts of things or beliefs or practices can lead us, lead you to salvation. But see, the thing is, if we really look at this idea of identity, we know full well that Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So all these other ways and the ways you're presented with today, money, eternal peace, you know, if you're enlightened, then you're fine. If, if you've got the right harmony of this, that, and the other, you're fine. If you've got enough money and security, if your kids are successful, you'll be okay. If you've been a good person, you'll be okay. And that just falls directly in contradiction with what God's Word says and directly in contradiction with the truth of who God is and how He's created us. So then how do we work at this, I don't want to make an idol out of this world I live in? Well, it starts with an understanding of, I think, Paul's two favorite words. In Christ. Now, I did something this morning just because I wanted us to get an idea. When we use the word in, that preposition carries a lot of weight. You type it into Google and look at all the different scenarios that come up with the little word in. In due course, in time, in lieu of. And there's some lyrics there. In the meantime, we use in in all sorts of settings. And what didn't show up surprisingly was two of our favorites. I am in love. And I'm in pain. You know, as we get older, we probably say a little more of the in pain and a little less of the in love. But the thing is, that little preposition is one that's used consistently in all sorts of ways. We're also, you know, we're in thought. When, when some of you close your eyes during the message on a Sunday morning, you might tell me you're deep in thought. You might be. I know some of you are, and some of you might be in sleep. And that's okay too. But Paul, throughout his writings, pointed us back time and again to our identity in Christ. If we were to look at one thing this morning, it would be surrounding this idea of, do you know who you are in Christ? We might know the right answers, but I wonder when push comes to shove, do we really know who we are? Do we stand firm on who Christ has made us to be? Do we stand firm knowing that we are the people God meant us to be? Do we always obey? No. Do we continue to sin? Yes, but we continue. It is my prayer and it is our mandate that we are to be made more like Christ each day. And so when you look at Ephesians right at the beginning, starting in verse 1 and moving on, you'll see that time and again, depending on which translation you use or how you translate the Greek, over 10 times in Ephesians 1 through 2 chapter 10, 
through chapter 2, verse 10, Paul uses this phrase, in Christ or in him. Okay? He uses it a bunch of times. He wants us to get this picture that all of this starts with Christ Jesus. And when we look at this idea of identity, the problem is that we addressed last week was we tried to identify ourselves and make our self-worth out of all these things of this world. But that's just not the way God has created us to be, and it's not what he intends. So Paul starts at the beginning. You see, before we can understand who we are in Christ, we have to understand who we are apart from Christ. So if you looked at it, if, if we're looking today at in Christ, well, first we have to look at outside of Christ. And that's how Paul starts chapter 2. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. John Stott calls this the unredeemed self-portrait. Those who have not been redeemed, who have not been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ by grace through faith, which we'll get to, have this very real picture of who they are. What are we saved from? Well, it starts with the reality of who we are. And you look at, there's a few things in our old self that Paul is very clear on. I don't have to illustrate a lot because I think in all reality, if you pay attention, we can relate to these and we can understand and say, yes, before Christ, this was me. The problem is sometimes we fall back into worldly and old patterns. And we must continually surrender ourselves to him and to who he's made us and who he is and is making us to be. First, we see right off the bat that we were dead apart from Christ. We're dead. Sin causes death, not just physical death, spiritual death. There is no hope for any of us apart from Jesus Christ. We must know that. There is no hope, no matter how big our portfolios are, no matter how successful we are, no matter how great our kids are, they cannot save us. Apart from Christ, we are dead. Well, what else does he mean by that? He says that. He says, you are apart from Christ. If you're living in the sinful ways, you're apart from Christ. Then he goes on, well, you're also disobedient. If you were to ask a lot of people those that are in Christ, those that have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, and even those that aren't, most people can say, you know, I've made mistakes. Most people have some type of moral compass. Do we agree with it? Probably not. But most humanity can at some point say, I've been disobedient. I've known the right choice to make, and I've chosen not to obey that. Well, where does that come from? I believe it comes from God, the maker of heaven and earth. He created us. As we saw last week, he who made the heavens and the earth made us in his image. But we choose to make gods out of this life we live, out of things that we've talked about, out of those idols. And that sinful nature causes, leads to death. It keeps us apart from Christ. It makes us a disobedient people. 
because we choose to follow our ways instead of his, and that makes us a slave to sin. We don't like to think of that very often as that we're slaves, but that is a very common picture that's used in the scriptures. You can be a slave of sin, or you can be a slave to righteousness in Christ Jesus. One brings tremendous freedom, as odd as that sounds. One brings this amazing freedom by giving up our lives and saying, take my life and let it be holy, pleasing Lord to thee. And the other just buries us, puts us further and further under the weight of acceptance of others, under the weight of sinful nature, under the weight of following the ways of the evil one. Make no mistake, the evil one is real. Satan is what he's often called. And his goal is to steal your joy, to steal your life, to kill you and to destroy your soul. That is his objective, to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't have your best interests at heart, but yet time and again we fall into the trap of following him, following his ways, choosing to sin. And then finally, we see that we are, and this is painful. Most of us don't like to come to grips with this, but we are objects of God's wrath. In our sin, in our state where we have not yet been saved, we are objects of the wrath of God. That is not something we like to think about, but it says it right there in the scripture. We are subject to an eternity in hell, we are subject to missing the full life that we were created to have. We are subject to being objects of God's wrath. His justice will be made complete. And those that have chosen not to believe on Jesus Christ will suffer the consequence of their choices. We don't always like to think about that. But just because it makes us uncomfortable doesn't make it any less true. We can get really good at judging other people. Just as I told the kids, well, do you see others the way God sees you? Most of us don't. Most of us can be really hard on others, but if we turned that lens inwardly, it might be a bit more painful. We don't like to think about before Christ, or if you haven't believed in Christ, you probably don't like it that I'm standing here saying, you know, you are an object of God's wrath if you have not believed in Jesus Christ and accepted him as savior of your life. And what all that leads to is we continue to seek self-satisfaction, self-gratification. We look around and we do whatever makes us feel good, right? That's the big mantra of today. Do those things that make you happy. Interestingly enough, you can read the scriptures from front to back. And you'll never hear God say, I just want you to be happy. He wants you to live a full life. He wants your joy to be complete. He wants us to be people of great thanksgiving. He wants us to be humble and meek and gentle and many other things. But there's much more to life than just being happy. Because happy seems to indicate this selfish pursuit of what we want and what we like. But if you go over to 1 Corinthians 13 and you look through that list of what love is, every single time love is giving of ourselves rather than just taking in. 
But too often we get caught thinking, well, I want this to make me happy, to make me feel good. And we get caught in this vicious cycle of sinful behavior. And these are the old patterns. This is the old self. We don't have to be a slave to this way any longer. Isn't that awesome? We don't have to be identified as dead apart from Christ, disobedient, slaves to sin. We don't have to follow the evil one. We aren't objects of God's wrath. We don't have to live self-gratifying lives if we are in Christ. You see, praise the Lord, it doesn't just stop here. I love it. Paul does not run away from the reality and the truth of Scripture, but he doesn't stop there. What are we saved from? Well, we're saved from our sinful nature. We're saved from the wrath of God. And who saves us? Well, because of His great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Transgressions are a fancy way of saying in our sins, in our rebellious state. It is by grace you have been saved. Just think about that for a second. We didn't do anything. You notice that? We get here. We get to the end of verse 5, and it says, you have been saved. How? By grace. And if we work our ways back, we see that it's because of God's great love for us. So we know God loves us. Then we learn he is rich in mercy. And even while we were dead in our sin... He made us alive with Christ. And just to make sure we didn't forget it, it is by grace we have been saved. Notice what is missing. What we do. How we earn our way to God. How we earn our salvation. How we work ourselves into being good enough to be accepted by God. We can't. We can do everything in our power to be good enough to be set free from sin, to be a slave to sin no longer. But we cannot justify ourselves. We cannot make ourselves right. That's why Paul says so clearly, it is by grace you have been saved. Now, grace is a wonderfully rich word that it is very hard for me to define because it's so full and has such great connotation. But I love what I was taught back in my days in evangelism explosion. It's still my favorite definition of grace, and there are many. But it's simple, and, and I think it's easy for us to remember. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. When we are saved when we have been set free from sin, when we are in Christ, we have been given the gift of God's riches at the expense of Christ. Our salvation didn't come freely. It is the free gift of salvation for all who would believe on Him, but it does not come freely. Someone had to pay for it. And that someone is Jesus Christ. He came. He lived a pure and spotless life. He lived a holy and righteous life. He made disciples. He modeled how we should live. And then he was crucified to pay the price, the penalty, not for his own sin. He was without sin. 
but he obeyed the will of the Father to make himself nothing, to be subject to being hung on a cross, punished for sins he did not commit, and raised victoriously three days later, miraculously, so that all who believed on him might be saved. That's amazing. That is real love. You know, when you talk to married couples, depending on how long they've been married, it's interesting how the, the conversations go. But what's really interesting is a picture, if, if you get the chance to talk to a godly, retired old couple, like they've been together for 50 plus years, and they are more in love with God than they were 50 years ago. Have you ever sat there and watched them enjoy each other? That love is selfless. And it's interesting that Christ calls the church his bride and points us back to a similar picture. Because when we realize we have been saved by grace, it makes us out of love, out of adoration, out of just pure wow, want to give our all for him. When we realize, wow, apart from God, I was destined to an eternity in hell. But because of what Christ has done and who he is, I have been saved. I have been set free. And I look out there and I don't see a lot of excitement in that. Now, I know you're tired. It's been a long week. But do we get excited by the reality that we have been set free and saved? By grace, by God's riches at the expense of Christ, we can enjoy a right relationship with our Heavenly Father for all eternity. It doesn't just stop there, though. He keeps going. In fact, he's only halfway through. I'm not. I'm going to move quickly, I promise. But he keeps going. He tells us what we're saved for. He says, and God raised us up with Christ. Now pay attention to the, this little word. Not only do you have, pay attention to in, you pay attention to with. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him. And by the way, back in verse 5, made us alive in Christ when we were dead. Verse 4, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Sorry, it was verse 5. So we're alive with Christ. We've been raised up with Christ. And then, We've been seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. We cannot imagine the pure depth and expense that the grace of God came with because it is so freely given to us. But in the coming ages he will continue to show the incomparable riches of that grace expressed. How did he express it? In his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We've already seen that God is merciful. He's gracious. He loves us. Now we see that in his kindness, he's going to show the riches of the incomparable greatness of his grace. And interestingly, he brings us along in the journey just as Christ had followed. But through Christ, we can share with him. We have been raised up. Our old, old selves, 2 Corinthians 5, 
Behold, the old has gone, the new has come. We are a new creation. So we've been raised up. We've been made, made new, raised up with Christ, seated with him in the heavenly realms. Instead of being subject to Satan and following the patterns of his will for this world, when we are raised up in Christ, we are seated with him in the heavenly realms. Satan has no power of, over us anymore. We give it to him, but he has no power on his own. He doesn't make us sin. We have authority over him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's why Christ so clearly taught us how to say, get behind me, Satan. And he uses his word to fight off temptation. You see, when we are seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, that goes on for all eternity. That is hope that is beyond what we can imagine right now. And that is awesome in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace express, express in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul's writing about us here. He shifts. He's affirming that God raised and seated Christ but also that he's raised and seated us with Christ. We've been adopted as sons and daughters in Christ. He's made us alive with Christ. He's raised us up with Christ and he's seated us with him. And each time he does, it points us to our identity is found in Jesus Christ. It is not in ourselves. It is not in how we do things. It is in who we are in Christ. We are with him, invited into the fellowship of the Trinitarian God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to live in community with him and with one another for all eternity. Jesus tells us that I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. This is what he means. That our lives might experience and see and live out the incomparable riches of his grace as it's expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. We did not save ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. But God and his great love for us gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. Paul doesn't stop though. He keeps going. Well, what do we do now? We've already seen what we've been saved from. We've seen who saves us. Now we look at what next? Well, in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, we were reminded, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. This faith isn't from yourselves. It is the gift of God as his grace, not by works so that no one can boast. You see, it would have been easy for very religious people to sit around and say how great they were, how pious they were. And Jesus actually addressed that, you know. He said, don't be like the Pharisee that stands over there and prays loudly for all he hear. That's all the reward he's going to get. We are only to boast, as Paul teaches us, in Christ resurrected. We are only to boast in who we have made or who we have been made in Christ. We didn't do anything. We sinned. We betrayed the Lord. We've disobeyed him. We've been separated from him, from him and we follow the ways of the world. 
apart from Christ. In Christ, our lives are his. We've changed from a slavery to sin to a slavery that actually sets us free, that says this is the life you were made to live. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The path was laid out. The path is clear. We are to walk the straight line toward the person of Jesus Christ, growing more like him every day of our lives. When Paul tells us in Philippians that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, he's not saying you've got to go earn your salvation. He's telling us that we continue to grow more like Jesus Christ as we grow, as we continue to walk the road that the Lord has put before us. Often when we talk about identity, as I said last week, it's easy for us to think about all the things in our lives that we don't like about ourselves. It's easy for us to define ourselves by the mistakes of our past, or it's easy to define ourselves by the successes of our past or future. But I don't hear often enough from people that they look at me and they say, Mike, I'm a sinner, but I am a work of art set free from sin by the miraculous grace of God through his son, Jesus Christ. You want to know how you begin to get over the identity crisis, to begin to move past suffering through being subject to the idols that we talked about last week? We say once for all that I am God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And we begin to move to an understanding that our lives are not our own. When you look at it in comparison to each other, it's pretty cool. You see, in the old self, we were dead. Dead to sin, destined to an eternity in hell. In our new self, we are made alive in Christ Jesus. In our old self, we're apart from Christ. Separate from him who came to give us life. In our new Christ, in our new selves, we are united to Christ, brought into him. We are brothers and sisters with him, joint heirs, co-heirs with Christ. We have been adopted into his family in Christ Jesus. We move from disobedience to obedience. We will still sin. That's the reality of our lives, unfortunately. But we have been made new. Old things have passed away, the new things are here. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The disobedient life moves to a life of obedience. We move from being a slave to being freed in Christ. Our slavery is in him. And by only the divine paradox that makes this work, when we give up our lives, we actually gain true life. I love that because it's way bigger than I can explain well. But it's who God has made us to be in him. We're set free to sin. In the old self, we follow the ways of the evil one. We follow the ways of the world. In the new self, we're ruled by Christ. Jesus tells us, if you love me, you'll obey what I command, you'll do what I tell you. Okay, well, in the new self, we're gonna. In the old self, we were objects of God's wrath. In the new self, we're objects of his affection. When you think about God looking down at you, I wonder, do you think that God looks down at you 
maybe as your earthly father did and just tells you everything that you do wrong? Or he's constantly looking for you to fail? I suspect most of you have critics in your life, people that criticize you. Big things, little things, you get criticized, right? It happens. But I wonder, when we think about God, do we think of him constantly criticizing us? Or do we think about ourselves as his workmanship, his work of art, created by him? We're not painting the picture. God is painting the picture through us. The creation doesn't paint the picture. We're the canvas with which God paints. And we are his work of art. And we are being made new every day. His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God. Do you look at yourselves in the mirror and say, God loves me. I am the object of his affection. I am in Christ. You want to come to know who you are? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. You are in Christ, a new creation, set free from the ways of this world, meant to live a life that does good works for the glory and honor of God the Father through Jesus Christ his son. You no longer seek to satisfy yourself. You realize I've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. There is nothing better than being able to talk with someone and seeing that they've been set free and they know they stand firm on the solid rock and it is not on that solid rock. Isn't their accomplishments? Their old past doesn't define them. They've been set free and they're living as children of God, as his workmanship, created to do good works. Are we? You see this candle? It's lit over here. Because last Sunday, a a lady in our church sat down and had lunch with somebody that she'd never met before, and she felt like she should tell them about Jesus Christ, who they are apart from Christ, and who they are in Christ. And that person chose to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I love that but not nearly as much as God loves welcoming the sheep that have gone astray into his fold. So what do we do? We do that which God has told us to. We understand that we are in Christ. We have been accepted by God. You know, here, uh, if you apply for university, rejection is much more common than acceptance because there's only a few universities in Hong Kong and there's a lot of students. So maybe some of you have felt that rejection of not being accepted to a university or you've applied for a job and you've been rejected there. We often know the feeling of rejection. But do we live in the freedom of acceptance in Christ Jesus? We who are in Christ, who have been saved by the blood of the Lamb, have been accepted into the family of God. Why wouldn't we want to bring others along with us? What do we do with a lesson like this? Well, my name is one who is in Christ. I've been accepted by God. People may say lots of things about me, but my identity isn't defined by what others say about me. My identity is hid in who Christ is. I am a child of God. I am his workmanship, a masterpiece created by him, and I have been adopted by grace through faith. In Christ Jesus, let's pray.
Lord, I thank you for your word. I ask that we would stand securely knowing who you've made us to be and living that out. That though many distractions come from all angles, our attention and our focus would be solely on you and on bringing glory to your name, doing the works you've created us to do to honor you and to invite others to be in Christ with us. In your name I pray, amen.